Today on Sagittarian Matters, pug enthusiast Gemma Carell helps Nicole learn to draw pugs. Plus, friend of the show Rocco joins me for advice. Stay tuned. Hello, I need advice, please. I was very recently in a friend's wedding, which ended up being a horrible experience. They made some incredibly rude decisions in regards to the wedding party through the process, which culminated in half the wedding party, those that were less traditional looking or minding, being literally hidden in a separate room during their reception. This whole experience has brought me to the conclusion that this is a person I am not meant to be friends with and cannot spend any more energy on. I'd like advice on how to end this relationship in the least dramatic and polite way possible. Is there a way to consciously unfriend without seeming mean or hurting feelings? From friend in France. I think you said it best to me once, and it's just program. It's uh, a... You don't need to tell someone you're making a boundary? Oh yeah, you don't need to tell someone when you're making a boundary. Exactly, like you don't. So if you decide you don't want to be friends with someone, you can just invest less energy in them and you don't have to tell them that you don't want to be friends with them anymore. I think that that's sometimes like a holdover from childhood where you have these rigid kind of lines about what a friend is and you need to communicate those things with people. Like you make a friend and you're like, you're my new best friend. And then the next day they do something that upsets you and you're like we can't be friends anymore like you don't need to do that in adulthood yeah. what um, do you do? I, I think you just uh, retract your energy so you don't um, you know I had I had this with uh, some some friends that I felt like I didn't need them to be current friends even though they were great friends at one point in my life talking about me exactly <laughs> this is awkward um, but I just invited them to do things less and less or I made a, a decision that I didn't need to invest any more energy and then I just didn't. And if they invited me to do something and I felt like I wanted to do that with them, then I would make that decision in that moment. But I didn't need to have this kind of rigid, structured idea of what what it's all or nothing. And I think I have the tendency to do that. Like either someone's my best friend or they're my enemy. And, um, and I couldn't figure out how to have these gradient, energetic um, relationships to people of like, this person is someone who takes more than they give energetically for me. So I'm not going to invest as much energy as I would for someone who makes me feel really great and makes me feel good about who I am and makes me feel good about our relationship. And it feels like this equal exchange and investment. Um, I think that, that it's fine to pull back without writing someone off as, as being an enemy. I have a friend who did that too, and at a certain point she asked me what was going on. This was many years ago, and I didn't tell her, but I had a reason. And now in retrospect, I think it would have been a good, honest choice to just tell her. You know, like, hey, when this thing happened and you were not available for me, it just made me question our whole friendship. Because what I need from a friend is to be there for me when times are tough. Um, So now, like, in retrospect, I kind of wish that I would have had a conversation. I was like, hey, it hurt my feelings when you blah, blah, blah. You don't have to say, I'm not your friend anymore because of it, but you can just say, like, hey, this thing hurt my feelings. And it kind of give them a chance to understand what happened mm-hmm. and give them a chance to feel the repercussions of their actions. I don't know if that feels dramatic or what. 
that seem, it seems more advanced than what I just said. It's like the next level. So for me, I'm still practicing that one of like having boundaries without telling people. And then the next step would be telling someone immediately because I'm so afraid of confrontation in general that it feels easier for me that if my feelings get hurt or someone is constantly raising my hackles in some way that um, my impulse is to be like, fuck you and run away. Um, and so it's a practice for me to not say fuck you to a person, either literally or energetically, and to just gauge from moment to moment how much I want to invest. But it does seem like a master's level kind of emotional education, the piece that you just said of like, of communicating immediately. I think I've seen people do that. Yeah. My wife right now, she's a great communicator. And there was one moment when I had a, a roommate that was very challenging for me. Um, and she behaved in a way that made me uncomfortable all the time and I never said anything I just was passive aggressive and there was a moment when my wife was at my house and this roommate did something shitty and she just said to her hey that feels bad that you did that can we talk about it and then they talked about it and it blew my mind <laughs> I've never seen anyone have direct communication before you were like no no I'm just gonna slam the cupboard <laughs> And, like, mention the dishes but not do them. Like, I'm going to slam the door oh, room to my door. No, not even. I'll do the dishes loudly, grumbling, and then I'll, um, you know, try and ice someone energetically but never say anything and then just talk shit about them behind their back as if they're supposed to intuitively know what they did. <laughs> I'm my mother, in other words. I'm my mother. I think the master's level version of this would be to, you know, when you're wrong, promptly admit it as fast as you can but also if someone else hurts your feelings just let them know when you can but not in a way that's like you're terrible but just like here's the facts from my point of view because the thing they do to hurt your feelings might be fine for somebody else it just hurts your feelings so then they get to choose whether or not to act like that in the future um I need something else to say about that apparently people are most people aren't used to direct communication around uh feelings and how they respond is out of your control. That's another piece to remember. So, like the idea of observing your feelings and then making a choice is like a next level kind of skill. Yeah, that I think takes a lifetime. Yeah. But that is an interesting choice. I wonder if this person themselves is, is like an outsider or, or someone that has been like a part of this person's life from a different period. Because that's another thing that's challenging is like you grow and change so much and sometimes you have friends that grow and change with you and other times you don't and your friends are just old friends who are not part of your present landscape and maybe they haven't adjusted uh, to, to meet you where you're at and that you are no longer like currently relevant to each other in some ways those people become like family for me um where like obviously they don't understand me obviously they're gonna piss me off but i totally just accept that that's our relationship but i have really bad boundaries so i wouldn't i wouldn't take my advice with that i just think that you don't need to to tell the person or if it's truly a thing of like if your feelings are truly hurt and you're responding out of hurt um then it might be good to just pause and, and do nothing for a minute and really really take a moment to like assess where your feelings are at how you want to move forward 
Um, but I wouldn't do anything rash like remove this person from your life. If you were a part of someone's wedding party, that seems like at some point you had a very significant relationship to them because people don't just choose a like willy-nilly kind of choose a wedding party guest you know that's like a big decision so probably you guys are significant in each other's lives in some in some way or some time period so i i would i would maybe like just take a moment to pause and and meditate on what feels like the right next thing to do i want to say also this person worded their question in a way where they're like how can i do this without hurting their feelings it's like but your feelings are hurt and by you saying that out loud, you're not doing anything to that person. You're just reporting how one of their actions affected you. So you kind of need to separate their actions from them, and you need to take responsibility for your own feelings. And know it's okay to stick up for yourself and take up space. And if that person can't meet you there, then that's when you actually are communicating what's going on, then that's the telling thing. But if that person was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry you felt that way, here's the thing you didn't know is that I don't know what. Totally. You know, that we thought that maybe there was, I don't know, maybe there's a, a fart in the main room and we wanted to keep all the queer people away from it because we care about you more. I don't know what the, you never know, you know what's going on for other people. Yeah, and, and to that point too, it might be that they wanted to spare the queer people the um, discomfort of sitting around uh, like Trump supporting homophobic relatives or something and that they actually thought they were doing something good and kind and um, and I think... The other piece of all of this is, yeah, to, to Nicole's point, I think that if you should give the person the opportunity to have a, a conversation about where they were coming from, and if they disappoint you um, and they just were being a shitbag and a homophobe or, you know, or whatever, then you still don't need to take action immediately. You can think. I think I'm only saying this because it's hard for me to not. And you can tell the person that you're not available to talk any more about it at this moment and that what you are available for is to revisit it later yeah. it's so hard to pause when your feelings are hurt it's a good like I mean it's just a more in the moment thing but it, I just thought of it today for one of my friends just the basic idea of are you hungry angry lonely or tired then stop halt and give it a minute you don't need to make any decisions right away. You never do. Even if the other person's sweating you, you don't need to make a decision right away. Your boundary is not their boundary. That's why it's your boundary. So you can say it and they may not be like, but that's not how I feel. And you're like, well, I'm not making a fucking boundary for you. I'm making it for me. <laughs> oh, all right, we got to go. We got to get our checking out of here. Rocco, do you have any last things to say? Um, no, I think this is all like, this is all, all these kind of complicated relationship moments are great learning opportunities and not just like learning how to navigate through conflict but like also learning and observing how you yourself um uh deal with conflict and uh, and i don't mean like how you deal like with the other person but how how it makes you feel how you react like what are your impulses like um it's cool that you took uh, the moment to write about this than to just jump in and do something um, so that's that seems like a step that is a bit more advanced than I would have been, I think. I think I probably would have just been like, fuck you for putting me in the corner. No one puts baby in the corner. And then you're referring to yourself as baby. <laughs> and then... And then they're like, thank you, I dodged a bullet. I don't want to be friends with an adult person who calls themselves baby. And then you went... Rocco, thanks for coming on the podcast. 
You are listening to Sagittarian Matters with Nicole Georges and Ponyo Georges. Gemma Corral is a cartoonist, writer, illustrator, and pug enthusiast. She's the originator of Pugs Not Drugs and the books A Pug's Guide to Etiquette, A Cat's Life, The Worrier's Guide to Life, and The Feminist Activity Book. You can find her at GemmaCorral.com. Now please enjoy my talk with pug lover, Gemma Corral. I am in the Seattle Public Library 8th floor conference room with producer Ponyo and Gemma Corral. Welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What's in your hand there? It's a chew and it's banana flavored. Do you like banana flavored candy? I do, yes. So I'm pretty excited to try this. I also like banana flavored candy, but I find most of my friends are grossed out by it. I mean, it doesn't taste like banana, but it tastes good. Ponyo likes it. Ponyo likes the smell. Well, let me let me do mine. Hold on. Okay. These are kind of waxy looking. It's like a little tiny waxy brick. Yeah. Let's go. All right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Banana high chew. It's like a little bit like a strawberry eraser. It's a lot like a strawberry eraser. Yeah? Yeah. It's pretty much just an eraser. <laughs> I'm eating an eraser. But it's yellow and it smells like banana, but it tastes like strawberry. Yeah. This is like my childhood dreams. Yeah, I used to collect erasers mm-hmm. as we all did in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if I could have actually eaten one. That would have been a happy day. It tastes like a scented eraser. Mm-hmm. Like a straw like when, sometimes we have like those strawberry scented erasers or Yeah, it's kinda of growing. Watermelon. Right? I think I like it. Well there's a mango one too. The lady in the lift that I took over had these in the cup holders and I was like, What's a high chew? And she was like, Oh man, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for you. You've never had a high chew before. They are so great. And I, I think she was disappointed that I put it in my pocket instead of eating it in front of her. I was like, I got to have my friend try this at the same time as me. And then she was like, I used to get the normal flavors, but I just got bored. So I got the tropical ones. We got mango. We got banana. And it was snowing outside, and I felt like she was trying to bring a little bit of the tropics. That's nice. Where and are they from? I don't know. I feel like I've seen them somewhere, like in an Asian grocery store maybe. Oh. Sensationally chewy fruit candy. It is chewy. It's pretty chewy. Would you call it sensationally chewy? I mean, maybe at a push. Mm-hmm. Just it, averagely chewy. Averagely chewy. Mm-hmm. There's chewier things. <laughs> there are uh, many. A dot. Do you read dots? I like mm-hmm. those. I've not had those. Dots and jujubes, I think, are I haven't had those easier to chew. This. They're both things that like are filling ripper. Like they'll rip your fillings out. Like your mm-hmm. teeth are just. I feel like there's a lot of American candy that I've yet to try. Oh. Is there an American candy you were excited to try? Um, not really. Was there anything like peanut butter flavored that's extraordinary or exciting to you? Is that still exciting to Um, you? I appreciate that there's a lot of peanut butter flavored things here. Um, we, Reese's peanut butter cups did make their way to England recently. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that wasn't so exciting, but just the fact that you can get anything you like peanut butter flavored is pretty exciting. Yeah. Do you like peanut butter flavor? I, I do. Yes. I mean, here we even put peanut butter in a dog bone. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're leaving the house, peanut butter is so prevalent that you're like, I just have so much peanut butter. I can put some in the middle of this dog bone and shove some treats in there, and the dog will be busy for hours. 
Yeah, um, my dogs are, are fans of the peanut butter. Mm-hmm. I, I actually prefer almond butter personally, but... Oh, yeah. You know, peanut butter is cheap and easily available, so... It is. Well, um, so, welcome to the podcast. We're here for Short Run Comics Festival, and we just sat by each other at a table all day yesterday, and Ponyo was here. Ponyo met you at SPX, and she was very excited to meet you. She sure was, although I think I upset her by trying to manhandle her at one point. <laughs> she has learned boundaries in a... She stayed with a friend who had teenage daughters or tween daughters mm-hmm. who I think did a lot of grabbing and like, no, I want to hold her. No, I want to hold her. So she came back from that with that like, like fake bite, crazy noise. That's understandable. Yeah, I don't personally like to be grabbed by strangers, so mm. I can understand. She likes strangers a lot more than I do, though. Like she likes, you know, many, many strangers. Mm-hmm. But she was particularly excited to meet you and I'm sure she'll like to meet your pugs someday. Yeah, someday we're going to get them all together and then uh, the internet will explode with love and well, joy. I'm just going to knock it up a notch and say Ponyo will definitely wear a costume if oh, they meet, okay. if yes. that would please the pugs. I mean, now I feel like they need to be dressed up as well, though. I don't know if this has to be like a pre-prepared thing, so they're all, you know, in sync or whether it's, oh. well, you know, like cosplay and they're just... How they feel on that day. I mean, if we had like three matching costumes, Ponyo definitely has a Santa Claus costume. She might even have two Santa. Ponyo, I could just bring her bag. I brought her bag of costumes before when she was hanging out with her friend Kiwi, who looks like her. Mm -hmm. And the mom was like, "Whoa, you have a lot of costumes!" But it was like she has like a Santa Claus. She has a leprechaun costume. She has, which is like a velvety jacket that she wore to a wedding before. Um, She has a wolf costume. Anyway, I feel like I'm. I'm really frittering away our time here telling you all I the mean, customs. we could talk about dogs the whole yeah. time, probably, but yeah. How long have you had pugs? How did you get your first pug? Um, so Mr. Pickles we've had for seven years now, and we got him as a puppy, and um, now I would only rescue dogs, but at the time I wanted a puppy, and the way that we got him was um, I designed a T-shirt. Well, it was a tote bag first that said Pugs Not Drugs on it, this was pre before you had pugs. That was before I was into pugs at that point, and um, I, we actually, me and my now husband, went to San Francisco uh, about ten years ago when we first met, and we went to Pug Sunday by accident, what? which oh. is a big pug meet up in out of Plaza Park, I think. Um, and uh, I saw all these creatures running around, and I was like, "What are these <laughs> magical beings? <laughs> like I'd never really seen one before." Um, and I kind of fell in love with them after that, mm-hmm. uh, but couldn't afford to have a dog or wasn't allowed to have a dog at that point where I was living. Uh, so I made the tote bag, and then I decided once I'd made enough money from the tote bag that I could afford to have a dog, then I would get a pug. And then eventually, that's when we got Mr. Pickles. Oh, my God. And then you have Bella now, too. Yeah, and Bella was a rescue. We got her when she was three, we think, and she's now nine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're pretty good friends most of the time. she missing some teeth? She's missing many teeth, yeah. If uh, if you've ever seen her, you'll see that her tongue is hanging out pretty much all of the time, which is very cute. But it gets all dry, like jerky, yeah. and you have to moisten it. You have to moisten it yourself? <laughs> yeah, usually just a little bit of spittle. Like, <laughs> of your yeah. own, or like you like grab it from her cheek? Usually just mine. I'm like a, a mother with a baby, like, yeah. yeah. That's pretty gross. I think the grossest thing 
Well, my friends have seen me do a lot of gross, you know, just eating stuff off the floor or finding food somewhere weird and eating it. But my friend said when she saw me finish my dog's water, like I try, like I pour Ponyo's water in the lid of my water bottle. And when she saw me like pour it back into my water or drink it or something, she like heaved, like her body like involuntarily heaved, like she was going to throw up because she was so grossed out that we would share water. But like. The dog and I share a lot. Yeah, I've shared water. Like if you're on a plane or something yeah. and they give you one cup of water, yeah. you, like what are you meant to do? You have to share it. You're not going to throw the rest of the water away right. because your best friend drank out of I it. I mean, we already like kiss with tongues all the time. So, like, <laughs> You French your dogs. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Ponyo would like that. Ponyo, I think, would love... We've loved- already like, done quite a lot of... Uh, Frenching? Of kissing, yeah. Sometimes if I want her to pay attention, I'll stick out my tongue because then she's like, oh, is this an opportunity for French kissing? And then I fake her out. I'm like, no, it wasn't. I just wanted to get your just attention. the words French kissing and now she's climbing over to you. It's true. She is. Oh, Ponyo, how do your dogs like America? Uh, I think they like it. They like California in particular because it doesn't rain uh, like it did in England. Um, and there's no seasons pretty much. So, yeah. you know, they don't like rain or snow or excessive heat. So it's pretty much... Pretty perfect. perfect for them, yeah. It's like 50 degrees-ish. Right. All and the time. And foggy and nice and I don't know. Um, so you – I'm trying to think of where to start. I mean, we could just talk about dogs the whole – we could talk about dogs the whole time. We could talk about dogs whose tongues turn out like jerky, hanging out of their mouths, or dogs on planes or anything. But um, I'm really fascinated and excited by your merchandising empire that you – so you're an illustrator – and you dabble in cartooning, or you're like, an, you know, like your. I feel like your work kind of crosses the line or straddles both sides. Do you feel that way? Would you describe yourself that way? Yeah, I'm always kind of struggling to um, say what I am because I wouldn't call myself a straight illustrator because I generally put um, a lot of text in my work. Um, but also, I'm not sure if I'm a strictly a cartoonist, although I make a lot of cartoons. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm somewhere in the grey area in between the two. Um, Merchandising-wise, um, I that was one of the first things I started doing when I was still at um, art school was, like, making stuff just to, um, you know, make a little extra money. And, like, Etsy was pretty new at the time mm-hmm. and there were a lot of craft fairs, like the Bust Craftacular was starting up in London. Um, so it was a really good time to be a maker and, like, doing your own thing and so I would make a lot of zines um I did a lot of screen printing at college while I still could um and then um so I was selling my own stuff for quite a long time um on Etsy and on my website and then it got to the point where I was selling a lot and it was kind of too much for me to do on my own I was just like spending all my time making shipping selling stuff um so then I started licensing to places and um, I licensed to a company in England called Odea and one in Portland, Oregon called Badge Bomb. Mm. Um, and so they manufacture a lot of my stuff now and I just buy it from them if I want to take it somewhere. And then of course I have my books and I still like, I really like making like mini comics and like on the photocopier still mm. um, when I can. So um, yeah, I do kind of miss making as much as I did, but yeah, I was going to ask like how. So now that you've licensed it, does that take up no, none of your time? Do you get to spend your time illustrating and let other people deal with that? Yeah. Um, over the years, I've kind of worked with different companies, and now I've kind of got to a point where I'm with 
companies that I know are going to do good things to my work. So I basically send them the things that I make, um, the things that I've drawn, and they um, they put them onto products. And I always get a say before they, they don't make something without showing it to me first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know they're going to do a good job. Like, my work is kind of pretty simple, so it doesn't need that much done to it anyway. It's just, like, kind of ready to go sometimes. Yeah. What's your favorite thing to draw? I mean, pugs really <laughs> uh, I've just spent so much time drawing them now and I've kind of got it down so mm-hmm. I can draw a pug in you know a few seconds you taught a pug drawing workshop yesterday can you describe how to draw a pug if somebody was listening to this, would it be physically possible for them to listen to your voice and draw a pug right now I think so yeah let's try okay let's try it okay Wait, what if you do it and I'm going to try to draw it all right as you talk okay <laughs> okay so I'm okay she's just getting her pens out this is my, the first time we've ever drawn a drawing. We've ever done a drawing thing like this lesson. This is exciting. Okay, right. So start off by drawing like a squished circle. So like it's kind of like a pumpkin shape. So not completely round. Okay, yep, looking good. Uh, now about a third of the way from the top and a third of the way in on both sides, draw um, a round circle for both of the eyeballs. You can make them any size you like, but it's a pug, so yeah, okay, good. Um, Now you can add the pupils. Um, With pugs, they can be looking in any direction, sometimes simultaneously, so you you can have one going up, one going down, whatever you like, yeah. That's something I like about humans and animals is when they're a little bit wall-eyed. Yeah, I mean, any kind of wonkiness in in a person or an animal is, is my favorite. And also your dog, your dog's retina has detached, much like Ponyo's retina, so they have that in common. Indeed, yes, Mr. Pickle's eyeball popped out, which is something that can happen with pugs. Um, he ran into a table leg, and um, yeah, out it came, and then I fainted. And then when you woke up, did you have to grab the eyeball in your hand to take him to the vet? Um, it wasn't quite all the way out. Um, it wasn't dangling or anything. Um, and he kind of pushed it back in himself. He was like pushing it with his paw. Um, so it was like, it wasn't too bad. And yeah, we took him to a vet after that. We didn't just leave him with it. Can you imagine pug? I mean, I can't imagine pugs in the wild anyway. But a pug in the wild pushing his eyeball back in with his paw and just going about his business? I mean, maybe that's what used to happen before, you know, when pugs were, were in the wild. Were they ever in the wild? No, I don't think so. <laughs> they were in the Imperial Palace in China. Oh, yeah. And Marie Antoinette had pugs, too. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So okay, I have, anyway. I have a squished circle. I have two circles for eyes. I made pupils going in a little bit different directions. Okay, so now um, start um, below the uh, left eye, um, about a third of the way up, and then you're going to draw a U-shape starting there. Here? Yep. It's going to be a big semicircle. Yeah, and then um, on the other side, the same thing backwards. So it's like like a, like a very wide W. Yes. Or like an upside down drawing of um, a seabird. Yeah, yeah, if you imagine a, a bird flying upside down. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay. A seagull, like when you're, when you're a kid and you're drawing the sea and then you're like, here's some seagulls in there. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. Um, okay, on top of that, do you want to draw a triangle, an uh, upside-down triangle for the nose? My pug looks like a cute pumpkin right now. That's basically what it, like pugs look like anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, and then for the snout, um, I do this two ways, but I'm going to do it the easy way for you. 
think uh, if you draw another slightly squished circle that goes all the way around the mouth and the nose and touches at the bottom of the eyeballs. Okay. So I'm drawing a semi-squished circle. That's his snout. That's going over his nose and his mouth. So there's a circle. There's like a flattened kind of circle around him. Yep. Okay. And and now you can start adding some wrinkles. So you can add um, wrinkles above the eyes that slant outwards so it makes it look like he's sad. Like that? Like his eyebrows wrinkle? Yep. And then you can add, um, I usually just do two wrinkles in the middle of his head. Um, you can kind of slant them any way you want. Obviously pugs have like a ton of wrinkles but I've kind of simplified it down to just two. I'm impressed with your simplification skills. I mean it's just having done it so many times and like if you look at my original pug drawings they were a lot more detailed oh, like a pugs not drugs pug yeah if you look at that it's um it's definitely more yeah a lot more detailed okay so then um okay and now a couple of lines under the eyes as well little eye bags he's tired he is a tired pug he was up all night partying okay you can you can add a tongue to you all right he has a jerky tongue and um the ears are just triangles attached to either side of his little pumpkin head like that? No. No. That's a fr you just drew a French bulldog, though. I did just draw a <laughs> um, oh, the other So one? they need to, yeah, so they're straight at the top and then triangles underneath. Yeah. Now he looks... There you go. Yes, That's yeah. perfect. That's puggy. Puggish? That's a beautiful pug. Thank you. Oh, my God, I just drew a pug. Thank you. I, I will post my picture of this pug on the Sagittarian Matters website, sagittarianmatters.podbean.com, and maybe on our Facebook page, too. This is my version of a pug. Thank you for this. Um, okay, so you got out of school. You're making your own stuff. You merchandise it. And now your day, what are your drawing hours versus what are your management, like self-management or like work email business hours? Like how much time do you spend doing each thing? Um, I'm actually pretty disorganized and I have no set times for anything really. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I try to spend an hour doing emails every day just because I get a lot of them um, and then drawing just however long it takes really like I'm I usually just draw from like 10 till 7 maybe but if I have a lot to do I'll draw in the evening too um, I'm very undisciplined hmm. I see I see my, I, find, I find that my best drawing hours are in the late afternoon and evening so I used to give myself a hard time. Like I would wake up, and if I didn't clock in till four, if I was doing other, I'd be like, "What a fucking loser!" Like I just would really harass myself about not sitting down to draw until four. And then at a certain point, I was like, "What if you just accept that these are your drawing hours, and the rest of the day, whatever happens, happens." Yeah. So then I started doing that, but but I also feel like it's amorphous and it just goes into every mm -hmm. work goes into every waking hour of every day. It feels like. Yeah, um, it's kind of ingrained in us, I think, from like being at school that um, it's good to start work at a certain time. Like you start at nine o'clock, you finish at five, um, you work the same hours as everybody else. And if you start working a bit later or um, like you can't work until later, you kind of end up feeling like you're being lazy. But actually, when you're an illustrator or cartoonist, you're kind of 
you, like you said, you're working all the time, you're thinking all the time. Um, you know, I carry a sketchbook around with myself. Um, I'm always either in like the library or a bookstore or something, and that's all. That all kind of counts as work, I think. It's still research. Mm-hmm. And um, if I don't allow myself time to do stuff like that, then I get really um, like I get creative block because I haven't given myself an opportunity to actually think. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think the thinking time is so valuable. Mm-hmm. How do you stay away from just getting sucked into your phone? Or do you? Um, I do manage to stay away from it now. Um, I kind of had to put some ground rules down for myself. Um, what are they? I um, I don't use my phone at home after about two o'clock um I try and put it away somewhere I either let it run out of battery or I put it upstairs um and so anything I need to post on like social media I'll do it in the morning um any emails I'll try and answer in the morning and um I like I post and then I leave I don't like I try not to spend too long like going through things Mm -hmm. um but then, you know, if I'm traveling or it's a weekend, sometimes that all goes tits up. But Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find – I was telling you in a group of people last night at dinner, I'm really trying to get into the idea of getting an alarm clock so that I'm not touching the phone first thing. Mm-hmm. I need to make more ground rules for myself. I might try out your ground rules. Yeah, I mean, I have a little notebook and then – because one of the things is like – if you want to know something now, you can just find it out immediately by going on your phone. Um, and then, you know, you'll Google something and then you'll go down a rabbit hole and end up, you know, somewhere else. So I have a little notebook and if I want to Google something, I'll write it down and then I will Google it later or the mm. next day. And that works pretty well. Um, yeah, but like with the alarm clock, you're so reliant on your phone and if you have as an alarm clock that's like immediately getting up and it's like right there and it's and and like in the evening as well if you end up like reading on your phone before you go to sleep Mm -hmm. um so I try and read a book instead of on my phone I'm getting more into that I I saw this do you know this cartoonist Rutu Modan Mm -hmm. I love her work and I saw her talk and she was like the iPhone is the enemy of the artist Mm -hmm. because it never gives you the opportunity to be bored and when you're bored, that's when your mind has space for new ideas to come in. So that kind of thing you're talking about, like going to the library, going to the coffee shop, like reading, going to the bookstore is also good for ideas to get in. Because when I'm just like looking at pictures of myself online or just like responding to people online or commenting on things online, I'm not actually leaving any space in my brain. Mm-hmm. I just read an article with, I can't remember who, it was some guy whose mom had been a crackhead, I think. I'm going somewhere with this, I swear. But she had a tennis racket in the corner of her room, and she did crack for however many years. This was a comedian whose mom was a crackhead. And after several years of being a crackhead, she looked over and she was like, oh, my God, like, there's that tennis racket. Like, this much time has gone by that I didn't actually apply myself to the things that I wanted to do for fun, like learn tennis and, like, play tennis and, like, live my life. And so now he – oh, no, it was – it was Questlove from a Tribe Called Quest. But anyway, so he keeps a tennis racket in the corner of his room to remind himself to make good use of his time on Earth and not to like get sucked down weird rabbit holes. And so now, since I read that article a week ago, I've been imagining the tennis racket in my bedroom when I'm on social media, when I'm like, that hour could have been spent 
learning tennis or whatever is tennis mm-hmm. for me. Like drawing the book of my dreams about a sloth that I have been wanting to do for like four years. That's like 60% done. I'm like I could have been spending that time with him instead of yeah. doing this. Anyways. So the, sl- the tennis racket is your sloth. The tennis racket. That, I have, maybe you need a little sloth. I need to maybe draw or paint Sloth Moss, which is his name, in the corner of my room saying, like, what about me? (laughs) Get to work. I'm dying. (laughs) Not to be a Seinfeld, but have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of Stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts, because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much, that's your business, via PayPal, to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday, and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and Blue Apron and whatever. But in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. Thank you this week to Shoshana Ruth Wechter and Mary Pinson. So I read that you used to make, you did you used to make stuffed animals to sell at craft fairs? Mm-hmm. Yes, painstakingly tiny animals and little um, brooches, which were in the shape of beans, which were like an inch tall. Oh my God. Yeah. Those are collector's items now. Yeah, I mean, if anyone still has those... Um, for them i feel like somebody must it's like kind of dirty and pilled but they're like very happy with it i used to make stuffed animals i used to make sock monkeys it was fun it hurt my hands a little bit so i had to choose between drawing and doing that Mm -hmm. but i would tell people at a craft fair in order to sell them all in time i would put up a sign that said any ones that i didn't sell i was going to throw into a fire at the end of the day and people were like oh no and they would be like you can't and i was like i'm sorry i don't have the space I just don't have the space. And so then people would feel, they would hold one, and then they would feel like they needed to rescue it from me, and then they would buy it. That's, that's nice. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a sales technique. It's, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Thanks. Well done. I thought about, I can't remember, I thought about doing one of those with Ponyo, like telling people I was going to, I don't know what, give her away or something at the end of the day if we didn't sell all the books because I didn't have space for both. I can't remember what kind of thing I thought of, but I forgot to do it yesterday. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't do that. I might have been upset. <laughs> You're like, what's going to happen? And I'm like, there's a dunk tank right there. The dog's <laughs> going to have to go in the dunk tank at the end of the day if we don't sell all the books. No, I mean, she mostly, she sits on the table and gets to kiss people and yeah, sometimes tell their fortunes. That. Yes, I got my fortune told by Ponyo. Was it good advice? Uh, it was. It was that not everybody can like me, which is probably something that I need to uh, accept. This is a good segue mm-hmm. because I was wondering your work. Your, you have some work that appeals to like a broad, a, like a broad ass swath of the world. Like pugs, not drugs, is something that like anyone's like 
man, woman, child, Republican, Democrat, like any kind of person could see that and be like, yeah, that's great. But you, at a certain point, you started involving kind of your personal beliefs or politics into your work, like feminism, or even, you know, talking about depression and things. Um, But you were telling me that people have responded because you're talking to such a broad section of the world that are wa- that are watching you or following you, when you post feminist things, you told me you've gotten some pushback. How did you decide to start incorporating more of yourself into your work? And then what was the response? Um, I've always incorporated my personal ideas and beliefs in my work. I just haven't shared it um, until more recently. Um, I was always half kind of scared and half just... Um, thinking that nobody would really care about you know my personal life um, and um, you know I've I've been able to make a lot of merchandise and sell a lot of things that are quite you know they're funny and like you said they appeal to a lot of people but my favorite thing to do has always been to create um, humor out of dark situations or um, satire and kind of political stuff. Um, so, like, I made the feminist activity book recently, and um, in my in my other books, I have dealt with mental health. Um, I do a lot of work about periods because I feel like that's not really often discussed in in any forum, but you know, in cartoons. Um, and you know it's it's the internet, so I know that there's always going to be a subsection of people who are going to dislike certain things. You know, I did um, I did a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood a couple of years ago, and that lost me some followers. But um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't particularly want those followers. I don't really. I have a big following on social media. But it's not, it's just kind of happened. It's not something that I actively pursue. Um, I'm not like a personality um, and I, I've never like posted selfies. I'm not like, you know, I just, I just draw comics and it happens that people like them and I have to just accept that mm-hmm. sometimes when I make the things I want to make, people will either not like them as much or they will actually hate them. Do you have a way of insulating yourself from the rando hater kind of people? Um, I, I am very happy with the block button. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe too overzealous with it, but I just, because um, I'm very sensitive, I tend to get upset by things pretty easily, and so it's just easier for me to just delete and block. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, does it ever make you scared? Are you ever like, ah, this crazy person knows what town I live in and they are mad because I believe that women have rights? Oh, no. <laughs> um, I've never felt scared um, because I, um, I don't often um, appear in public. And when I do, I'm at a, something like a comic convention where I feel, um, you know, I'm among people that I even if I don't know them I just trust the comic community um or like I'll be at a pug convention or whatever you know I don't I don't post my whereabouts when I'm just going on vacation or somewhere by myself so I've never felt threatened we would Ponyo would have your back yeah I think so I think Ponyo would like 
lick that person to death or whatever. She would grab their pant leg. That's one of her things that you haven't seen her do is grab a man's pant leg. Is it only men? Mm-hmm. Oh, there was one old woman whose pant leg she grabbed in New York, but she couldn't see. So she could have thought it was an old man. It's only been men who don't pet her. But if I tried to rile her up, I feel like I could sick her on somebody mm-hmm. if I needed to. If they were hassling you and you were like, Ponyo, get him, I feel like she would. Well, that's good to know. I did read an article uh, yesterday about a woman who was attacked by a man in the park in England and her um, dog uh, chased him away. And, like, the lead of the article was dangerous dog um, attacks would-be rapist or something. I'm like, you're leading with dangerous dog, not would-be rapist, okay? Yeah. You're like, da- dangerous man? Yeah. <laughs> I wish it was pack of chihuahuas. Pack of teacup <laughs> chihuahuas chase off dangerous yeah. rape, potential rapist, would-be rapist in the park. I like how we've circled back to dogs again. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's there. It's always there. Ponyo's wearing her headphones right now. She's working the levels at the board. She's giving us the thumbs up. She's telling us how much time we have. I mean, just, it's inevitable that we would yeah. circle back to Thanks, dogs. Ponyo. She's, she's doing her best. She's doing her best from the booth. How do you choose which things to do, um, which projects to take on, what to say yes to? I know I have a friend, and in art school he learned, like, there was, like, that pie chart that was, like, any project needs to have either money, freedom, or time. What do you kind of base it off of, like, how to take on something or not? Um, well, at the moment... I am very much focused on things that will either bring me money or um, um, prestige because I am trying to get a green card and I want to look really good on my application. Mm. And also I live in California and I have to pay the rent. But my plan is I've been trying to work on a graphic novel for a while now and other illustration projects have been getting in the way and I really appreciate that I'm getting them and like at the moment I'm getting a lot of big jobs which is great but I really would like to spend more time on my personal work so I'm hoping if I can get a green card and I'm probably going to move away from California um, I'll be able to afford to you know spend some more time on my own things. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do you want to move? Um, probably Kentucky. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? How? Um, so our plan is to move to Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a few friends there, and um, it's actually a really great city. It's affordable. It's really good for food. You know, I have, like, there's an amazing vegan cafe there. It's really close to a lot of places. You can drive to Chicago in a few hours. Um, and it's very central because I travel a lot and mm-hmm. you know from California it's kind of like you can go to Portland or Seattle and then apart from that it's like everywhere yeah. is pretty far but I feel like Kentucky is more central and so it's easier to get around oh my god I love the idea of you living in Kentucky I used to go to Louisville all the time for shows when I was a teenager because mm-hmm. I lived in Kansas City and everything mm-hmm. was but you would drive like six hours to see a band yeah. and that was no big deal yeah I've I've always got uh, I've already got my sights on Alice Cooper and I think March, he's doing Louisville. He's there, like, every year. Oh, really? And I haven't seen Alice Cooper before, so... What if you put that on your green card application? Look, you guys gotta let me stay. There's this concert I gotta go to. Alice Cooper! And then they'll look it up and be like, really? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know how many more concerts he's gonna be able to do. He's, like, 70, almost, he's, I think. He's not getting any younger. Yeah. Um, what else do I want to talk to you about? I want to talk to you about people stealing your work. What do you do about that? People steal your work. I guess you're... you're your imagery has gone off the chain. 
And in doing so, people have picked it up from all kinds of sources and then reprinted it as their own. And then they're like, look at this. Is there anything that you do about it or can do about it? Or is it just a bummer when people tell you about it? Um, there's often not much I can do about it because a lot of the time it's, um, you know, AliExpress companies that are in China making it. And then there's a, there's a lot of wholesaling that happens um, from shops which you think are little nice boutiques that like source their stuff from makers and they're actually buying from China. Um, so I have a ton of designs around t-shirts and leggings and so on, um, which are just everywhere. They're all over, you know, Facebook where you get the um, sponsored posts where it's like, you like pugs, so you'll like this t-shirt. Like I see my work on there all the time as well. But again, it's being drop drop shipped from China so not much I can do um, I have a few companies recently which are based in the US who've taken some of my work and I am trying to work on that but to be honest it's not it just takes up a lot of time trying to um, sort that stuff out and I just don't really want to be doing that yeah. I want to be working what's the best thing somebody can do if they see that their favorite artist has been ripped off and they see a pirate version of their favorite artist's thing i think it's good to let the artist know i always appreciate it when people let me know and um you know sometimes it's something i can't do anything about but sometimes it's like if it's just on etsy or ebay or amazon it's pretty quick to file a copyright infringement report on there so i can do that um also social media is pretty good i've used twitter before to um, call people out um, a lot of the time I just get the excuse like oh we found this on Pinterest or Google and we didn't know who made it and you're like that's not an excuse to take it and print it on your merchandise yeah. that you didn't know who made it obviously somebody did yeah somebody made it who's not getting paid right. for the thing that you're getting paid for mm -hmm. so that's good to know I was wondering I was like god is it just like I was like, is it just a bummer to have people tell you all day, like, I saw another one, I saw another one. It's just like whack-a-mole where you're like, oh, my yeah. God, there's so many. It does feel like whack-a-mole now. Um, it, when it used to happen to me, not so much. I would get really upset about it, and it would, like, ruin my whole day um, or week, and I just can't let that upset me that much anymore. Um, it does It does still a little, but I try not to let it. I, I, I don't know if you know who these people are, but my friends... Peggy Noland and Seth Bogart have, they both are like small designers. Oh, yeah, I know them. Yeah. And do you know, they like, so Zara ripped off, a bunch of people rip off their stuff, but Zara ripped off some of their stuff almost identically. So they had a thing where, I can't remember if they bought it for Zara or if they would have people bring them their knockoffs that they got from Zara. And then they had a part of their store where they would sell those things for three times the markup. Like they had their store painted like a fake mall and then they had one section of it painted like, and it said Zara above it. And then they would like re-tag them as collector's items and have people buy them for three times as much to try and get their kind of reparations from Zara. That's very clever. Um, it was my friend Tuesday Basson, it also happened to. I think she kind of um, was one of the first people who found out about Zara stealing her work. Um, and then it kind of really spiraled from there and tons of people found out. I think she's still working on legal, um, the legal side of it like a couple of years later. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, also, Seth Bogart's band is Hunks and his punks, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I really like them. <laughs> He's so great. He lives in L.A. He's just like, he just bumming around. Not bumming. Professionaling around. <laughs> <laughs> just professionally around. Okay, 
We're running out of time, so I have a couple more really important questions for you. One of them is, do you have advice for pugs? Oh, wait, I want to talk about pugs really quick. You had your pugs tarot cards read. Yes. Is that true? Yes. How did you find a pug tarot card reader, or did they find you? Um, it wasn't specifically for pugs. It was for all dogs. Mm. It was at a pug... Um, rescue event mm -hmm. and they were one of the ways they were raising money was having a tarot card reader and uh yeah so we had mr pickles and bella's cards read mr pickles um we found that he wasn't having his basic needs met um he felt like he wasn't getting enough walks we weren't playing enough um and that's probably true um we um we spend a lot of time at home on the couch and uh, now we try and take him out some more and Bella, Bella was basically just that she was very happy to be with us and she loves to spend time on the couch watching mm. TV. So, do they, What do they play? What does Mr. Pickles like to play? Um, he has many toys. He has Sock with a Knot is his personal favorite. It's um, an ever-changing um, contraption made of two socks, which are always, you know, one will fray and uh, dissolve and then we'll add another sock to it so it's like the everlasting sock oh, toy that sounds delightful yeah ponyo is not allowed to have ch toys she can have a kong or tennis ball because if she shakes it too hard she could shake her retina her retina that's been reattached with lasers it could come undone like, she could shake it free, and so she's not allowed to have stuffed animals anymore. I let her, because she has to live her life. When we go to someone else's house, if she finds a toy, she can play with it. But at home, we can't. We just have to use tennis balls and kongs. And then I just play with her by, like, pushing her around. Like, you know, like, turning her in a circle and turning her back and dancing with her and stuff. Oh, I, now I feel, now I'm worried about Mr. Pickles and his retina. Oh, but his is already... Yeah, it's already, it's already gone. It's already gone. He's, we can't save it. It's too late. It's too late. Yeah. It's, already, it's already happened. Yeah. Do you have um, any tips for pug parents or dog, dog people? What are your best – are there any kind of dog hacks or life tips? I tried to ask people life hacks last night. I don't know why. I was really excited to learn about the secrets of the airport and learn about <laughs> secrets of life. We learned some good secrets. Yeah, yeah we learned about Denver Airport and the Illuminati – passages under the airport and the crazy Nazi murals mm -hmm. yeah, and the big crazy horse statue uh, pug hacks um, pugs get hot very easily and they get fat very easily and it's not good for them to be fat so just don't feed them many treats and they will and walk them a lot and they will be fine my pugs are pretty slim um, and they don't have too many health problems which uh, everyone thinks pugs have mm -hmm. like there's always articles that people send to me about pugs and how they're a terrible breed and we should stop breeding them so that they die out um, and actually pugs are no less healthy than any other dog as long as you keep them fit and, and slim mm. I never thought about that because part of I always think about the joy of them being like their grabability. But you can still they, you can still have that. Like Mr. Pickles is slim, but he has a very large mane, which is very grabbable. Mm -hmm. So you know you can have the best of both worlds. Oh, I like that. I like that very much. Do you have any tips for young cartoonists or illustrators? 
who are like just coming out into the world and they're like, what do I do? I want tips from my favorite illustrators and cartoonists. Um, I guess my tip would be just to be patient because now when you go on social media and you see artists, it seems like a lot of people have very quickly, like they've just started drawing and now they're famous. Um, and it doesn't often happen like that. Um, you know, you don't see all the years before that of of people struggling to find their style. I feel like um, if you go too quickly anyway into posting your stuff online when you haven't really developed, you're not going to make anything very um, original or your own. Um, so, yeah, it takes a while. Like, be willing to have other jobs. Don't think that you can go straight into illustration and make a full-time living out of it. Um and uh yeah spend time off of your phone try and find inspiration from other places and um find your own style i think that's all really good advice all right we gotta go do a thing what's your sign aquarius aquarius we like aquarians here just so you know very but some of the best friends of the podcast are aquarians oh that's that's nice to know. Thanks. Just, you know, Sagittarians and Aquarians, I feel like, mm-hmm. go together like like peanut butter and a Kong. Right. <laughs> yep. 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 Peanut butter and uh, everything. Peanut butter and essentially everything. Yeah. All right. Well, Gemma, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.